Hello. My name's Samantha. Uh, I'm one, one of the life groups over in South Reading along with my husband, Yankee. We have three kids. They're usually running around after service, so I'm sorry if they run around you guys after service. This morning's scripture is from the book of Micah, starting in chapter 5, verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid up against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and she shall be their peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Samantha. Nice work. And nice work to the worship band, too. Only they could pull off the little drummer boy without a drummer, okay? Let's give them a hand. You guys, go ahead, open your Bibles to Micah chapter 5, and you can park them there. I'll be calling out a lot of scripture this morning. They are all in the digital bulletin at cedarrun.net slash service. So don't worry about writing them down and chasing through your Bible or scrolling through. Uh, They are there for you later on. Now, this is one of the most famous passages uh, about the birth of the Messiah uh, and Christmas uh, that we have. Uh, Micah is an Old Testament prophet. He's one of the minor prophets. uh, And he is preaching at the same time uh, in Judah as Isaiah is. So Isaiah is the more famous guy. He is kind of the advisor and counselor to kings. uh, And Micah is more of a street preacher. But the point is, and it's so fascinating as I was studying this, that they were both preaching about a coming ruler, a coming Messiah, at the same time in the same place, but hundreds of years before it would actually happen. Now, God's people at this time, things are not going well. They are in dire straits. Part of God's kingdom is already gone. Uh, and now the Assyrians threaten what is left. And in many ways, God's people were actually going to be under judgment for their sin. They were on the decline. Uh, Local politics was failing. They were essentially a puppet state of pagan nations. First the Assyrians, and then they would be vassals to the uh, Babylonians. And Micah and Isaiah are talking of this ruler, though, that would deliver them from from all this stuff permanently. So it's it's kind of interesting what's happening here. So the question for us, though, is how do we live as God's people in a declining society, like they did, with our own Assyrians at the gates? How can we have peace among the battles and even the losses even? So the message of Judah was this, these are tough times, but a new king is coming. He's one that will bring peace, and not just peace on earth for today, which is pretty good for Christmas anyway, isn't it? but peace for eternity. So this morning we're going to be talking about this coming king. Firstly, we're going to be talking about the place of the king. Secondly, about the purpose of the king. And lastly, about the peace of the king. So the place, the purpose, and the peace. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for these special mornings every week, Lord, these Sunday morning worships, Lord. We can open our hearts in song, Lord. Uh, the song melts our hearts and opens them to your word, Lord. And now, uh, Heavenly Father, I pray you, Holy Spirit, would be in and upon each one of us, Lord, as we uh, seek to hear uh, and understand what it is you would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first, the place where this ruler is to be born. Verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now you guys remember the Christmas story of the three wise men, right? Listen to this from Matthew chapter 2, the first six verses. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is so written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Now, what do you know? That, I'm going to move this forward because I'm going to go over backwards. I can feel it. I'm like, I'll be fine. I won't be fine. But very fascinating that the, the chief priests and the scribes, they go right to this verse hundreds of years later, like it's at their fingertips. They know where this is going to happen. And Bethlehem was a special place for Israel. It had always been a small town where big things had happened. And it makes you want to go, hmm, listen to some of this stuff. God renamed Jacob there. It was in Bethlehem that he became Israel. So symbolically, the father of the nation Israel. So his, also his wife, Rachel, died in childbirth there. Uh, as you know, uh, Jacob ended up having to marry Leah first. and had to wait a long time to marry Rachel. And she was barren for a while. She finally has a son. And it's in Bethlehem. And she dies giving birth. And her last breath, she named her son, the hoped for one that she never thought she would get, Ben-Ani. In Hebrew, that means child of sorrow. And then Jacob renames him upon her death, Benjamin. And what that means is the son of my right hand. Now, this is interesting because in Luke chapter 2, Simeon tells Mary that Jesus would bring her great sorrow one day. So Mary had a son that would cause her sorrow, but would also sit at the right hand of his father. Hmm. And guess where Naomi was from and guess where she brought her daughter-in-law Ruth back to when her lives fell apart in Canaan it was Bethlehem and then you know what happens right Ruth marries Boaz and they become great they become great grandparents of King David from whose line who else would come another king named Jesus right and David was born in Bethlehem too and it's it's curious because this all started out Ruth and Boaz with an interracial marriage between Boaz and Ruth, who was an immigrant who had no place in Israel. Okay? So Bethlehem is also a place for people who don't belong. 
There's inclusiveness there. And it's a, it's a, a snapshot of the gospel because we even see in our passage that, it, that this ruler would be over all nations, not just the Jewish nation. So it's a play, little place where big things happened, little among all the clans of Judah. So you can see that Jesus always goes out among the little ones. So Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. He wasn't born in the capital. He wasn't born where the kings and the high priests sat. Now, you and I, we were born in the high place. This is the capital of the highest place in human history. We are in the most prosperous and blessed time and place in human history, literally. The high place. We are so full of ourselves and what we have accomplished and our abilities. But listen to what John Piper says about the littleness of Bethlehem. He says this, The deepest meaning of the littleness and insignificance of Bethlehem is that God does not bestow the blessings of the Messiah, the blessings of salvation, on the basis of our greatness or our merit or our achievement. He does not elect cities or people because of their prominence or grandeur or distinction. When he chooses, he chooses freely in order to magnify the glory of his own mercy, not the glory of our distinctions. So let us say with the angels, glory to God in the highest, not glory to us, we get the joy, but he gets the glory. Hey, Trace, could you bring me my water, please? I knew I forgot something. I said, don't forget your water. I'm a mess. So God chose a stable so no innkeeper could boast that they were there because he had the best free breakfast. You can laugh, it's okay. Jesus was born in a manger. So no craftsman could say, look what I made. That's why he came. And he chose Bethlehem so no one could say it was because we have the most Teslas. And you know what? God chose you and me so we couldn't say it was because we were good people. How could God cho choose us the way that we sin? But he did. Because we know the truth about ourselves, don't we? How could he pick us? That's just flooring to me. But if you want something big to happen in your heart with Jesus, you're going to have to get small, like Bethlehem. You have to get small in front of a big God. Because proud, high spirits will never have Jesus. He only comes to the low-spirited, to the brokenhearted. Christ does not come to the exalted or the talented. He comes to the little ones. Now listen, it is okay to be blessed and successful and talented, okay? Because if it wasn't, I have to throw all you out of church this morning, okay? But just make sure that you come from the little place, the low place in your heart, that you're always going back there so you can be at the foot of the cross. If your heart has been broken, if it is being broken by your sin and you are low, you shall have him. And we've got the sin to go around for our whole life, don't we? Whether we want to believe it or not. But Jesus Christ is the chosen one of the little ones. So that was the place, Bethlehem. Now let's look at the purpose of this king. I'm going to read verse 2 again. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Now, unlike any other king, this King Jesus will come forth for me. 
That's what God says. That's what the Lord says. He will come forth from me. So Jesus will fully and completely act in accordance with all that God wills and stipulates and totally fulfill the divine purpose like no other king ever had or could. Micah 5, 4 says this, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is a king who stands, he shepherds, and he serves. First, he will stand. We know we have a God that stands for us, don't we? He is not waiting for us to do some great thing. He has done the great thing for us. He's a shepherd that will stand his ground and fight and die for his sheep. And he did that. He died for us. So now we can stand and obey. We don't have to die like he did, but can we at least obey? We have to die to self. Paul tells this to church at Thessalonica uh, about standing, okay? Listen, it's in 2 Thessalonians 2, 14 and 15. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Stand in the gospel. So first, our king stands for us. Secondly, Jesus will shepherd us. He won't leave you to find your own food. He gathers us and brings us to green pastures and the water of life, as it says in Psalm 23. There is no spiritual need that will be unmet in Jesus, not a single one. When the disciples prepared for the last supper, it was a last-minute thing. Nothing is planned. They never made the 20 trips to Whole Foods. They forgot to order the honey-baked ham. It was too late, okay? Honey, please order the honey-baked ham, okay? We've been talking about it all week. But they're rushing around. They're like, how are we going to pull this off? And Luke twenty-two thirteen, 13, it says, And they went and found it just as he had told them. He had told them where to go and what to do and who to talk to. And they, they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. If you obey this king, things will go just as he told you. If you obey this king, things will go just as he told you. And unlike the political kings of our age, or the tech gods, or the crypto scammers, or whoever else that you moonlight with as a king, you can trust in this king. So this king stands, this king shepherds, and lastly, this king is a serving king. Another translation says, he will serve us in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. He has got the strength to serve us, to fight for us and win. And if you are trusting in Jesus, him, his omnipotent strength is serving you. Micah 5 verse 8 says that one day God's people will be like lions, even among the beasts in the forest. We'll be stronger than them. Look forward to that. Walk behind him like a trusting sheep, and he will serve you by overcoming every obstacle to your sanctification and spiritual growth. Notice what I didn't say. Jesus is not a name it and claim it guy. He is not a blab it and grab it guy either, okay? He is not around to make sure you have a big house or a topped off 529 for your kids. 
He serves you by sanctifying you through his spirit and his word. And as we walk with this king, Jesus, here's where it leads. It leads to peace. Listen to what it says in verses 5 and 6. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at his entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. God's people were facing some serious times and some serious threats. The Assyrians were coming. And at the same time Micah is preaching this, Isaiah is counseling King Ahaz the same thing about deliverance. Listen to what Isaiah told Ahaz at almost the very same time up in the palace, or the aqueduct actually. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Can you believe that's going on? What Micah is saying about O Bethlehem and then Isaiah is talking about Emmanuel at the same time. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Now the prophecy in Micah and Isaiah says that God will deliver Judah from the Assyrians. And he does, because you remember that angel of death that swept through the, the camp of Sennacherib right outside of the gates of Jerusalem. But we also know that not long after, Judah will, be, Judah will be routed. Jerusalem will be routed. Babylon will come for them, and they would sink into oblivion. They would never really become a nation again for, almost, for over 2,000 years. That doesn't sound like an incredible permanent peace that Micah and Isaiah are talking about, does it? So what gives? Well, in this text, in Assyria and Babylon, throughout uh, these texts, also, it's, it's a generic term as well. So when he says Assyrians, he's talking about all of God's enemies, all of our enemies as well. So what Micah and Isaiah are telling both Judah and us today is that, hey, bad things are going to happen in your life, okay? God's people may even suffer at the hand of the ungodly even. But someday a ruler is going to rise up and he will deliver us forever. The ruler who was born in the little town of Bethlehem. That's what Micah and Isaiah are talking about. A ruler who eventually comes and puts the government of the world on his shoulders. Not the UN, not America, not Russia, not China, on his shoulders. And it's a kingdom that will no longer have sin and death or injustice or poverty. And he will be the one true king of all time. You know, the greatest enemy here is not Assyria. It's not Babylon. It's not even Google. It's called sin. And it's the greatest and worst enemy that we face. And our king defeats it. The gospel of Christmas is this. The true enemy that Christ has trampled underfoot at the cross and for everyone who trusts in him is sin. Their sins are forgiven 
and cast into the sea. Okay, we've talked about the place. We've talked about the purpose. Now lastly, let's talk about the peace. I want to have this peace that we keep hearing about here, this eternal peace that I can have. There's a little line buried in the middle of this book. Among all the apocalyptic imagery, among all the God's smiting of his enemies, and it tells us how you and I can get this peace. Listen to Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. Micah saying that. And that reminds me of a few weeks ago, we talked about Psalm 116 and how David had vowed to pray through his whole life because he knew he had a God who listened. Our God will hear us. Here's another little nugget about how we get this peace. Listen, Micah 7, 18 to 20, just a few verses later. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. There's that days of old language. From the ancient of ancients is where our king comes from in verse 3. Both of those passages scream what though? They scream gospel, gospel. When you're doing your Devo in the morning, when you're reading your Bible, be looking for the threads of the gospel. They're woven all through the Bible, not just the New Testament. Those strands weave all the way through back to Genesis. Find the thread and pull on it. You know, if that's you and you've waited on the Lord, okay, the Lord has heard your repentance and your lowness of heart. God, through this new ruler, he's going to pardon us. He's going to, he casts our iniquity into the sea. We are to keep waiting on the Lord like we have to keep waiting on him because there's always a need to be repentant. We always have to be repenting. We need the lowness of heart, lowness of heart as we wait on the Lord. We have to be, that's how we experience that peace continually because without repentance, without continual repentance at the foot of the cross, there is no peace. That's for you, Christian. And when that is happening in our lives, even when we lose, we win. Even when we lose, we win. In Jesus, we have a king who is sufficiently powerful. He is committed to defending us, and God himself has committed us to his protection. If we really believe we've been delivered, if we really believe it, there's no reason we should ever panic. There's no reason we should ever lose peace. And this is not an easy thing, okay? This is gonna, you're going to phase in and out of this hour by hour and day by day. There's no need to turn to the Assyrians and become their vassals. There's no need to lament if you become a captive of Babylon either. You don't have to worry about falling to them because our king will have the victory. And we will have the victory too because we know the game is fixed. Because we may face captivity, but we still win. So we don't have to be weeping and gnashing our teeth and pulling out our sackcloth over the political kings of our age even. So ask yourself today, who are the Assyrians in your life? Who are the Assyrians that you're facing down at your gates? Is it the other political party? Is it social media, your acceptance? You're not getting enough little heart emojis or likes? Have you been canceled? 
Are you afraid that Babylon may get your kids someday? I am. But in all of it, Jesus is our peace, and he will be our peace, and we can dwell and securely live in that. There's an awesome security in knowing who our ruler is. Listen to verse 4. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. When it is all breaking bad, you can look up to God. And maybe you're not even worrying about something big. Maybe you are. But why should you worry? You could say, God, you are the king. You're behind this. You know what's best. You know, maybe you have some sin in your life that you can't shake. And you're like, you know what? I'm never going to beat this thing. And maybe your spouse is like, oh, he'll never change. You know what? That's what Christmas is for, especially. Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you will be with child. And she is like, how can these things be? Gabriel says, with God, all things are possible. That's what Christmas is about. All things are possible in Jesus. But one final thing. You can only expect the impossible if you are at peace with God. You can only expect the impossible if you have peace. Because Bethlehem has a double meaning. The Hebrew means house of bread. Okay? But if you change the pronunciation just a little bit, it also means house of war. Yes. To those who believe in him, Jesus Christ is their sustenance. He is our bread of life. He is food to the righteous, and not our own righteousness, but a righteousness that we have from Jesus. But to those who do not believe, Jesus comes from the house of war. It will be for you a house of war. You'll never have peace today. You'll never have peace as you walk around trying to live your life. You're not going to have peace here, and you won't have peace in eternity. And instead of the white-robed, Birkenstock-wearing, peace-loving Jesus... You get lightning-eyed and sword-mouthed Jesus of Revelation. He's in there. So maybe you're here today and that is you. You can't find peace in your life. You're filled with fear and anxiety and this vague sense of guilt you really can't nail down no matter how hard you try to, you know, serve somewhere to make it go away. Listen, your peace has been in a person then, but that person cannot be you. You're trying to find peace in yourself. There's no... Peace in self. There's no peace in your special mindfulness time, okay? There's no peace in your your spouse either. Your spouse can't be your savior. Your kids can't be your savior. You can't turn your kids into some kind of emotional support because you want them to like you and be your friend. There's no peace in that. The only peace you can have is to be found in Jesus when you make him your king. You and I were never created to be our own lords and saviors. We were never meant to be our own masters. And it's why when we insist on calling the the shots in our own life, that's why things always go wrong. They never come out quite the way we want them to. It never works out the way we hoped. That's because you're hoping in yourself as a king. When you, you need to make Jesus your lord and savior, If you're not a believer, you need to confess your sin to him. That's easy. Confess your sin. You know you're a sinner. You can do it right now. Confess that you have been your own king in your life and your your own shot caller, and you've gotten it all wrong, that you want to follow Jesus and his lordship. If you're here today, you can do that right in your seat. 
No, maybe here today you are a believer, okay? Maybe Jesus is even your king, but you know what? You're not feeling the peace. A lot of Christians that don't feel peace because maybe you're not submitted to him as much as you think you are. Maybe Jesus isn't a king to you in a functional day-to-day sense. Maybe he's only your king on Sunday morning. Maybe he's only your king when things are going wrong. Maybe he's only your king when you want something. You can't obey a king like that. That's not real obedience. You can't obey a king only when you agree with him or when it makes sense for you to obey. That is not obedience. That is agreement. You don't have to agree with the king. You just have to obey. You can't obey just because this one passage, I agree with it. But you know what? God probably didn't really mean it this way. You know, I, I think this is the way this passage should be. I, I'll just put that one aside. That's not obeying Jesus. That's convenience. You're really still your own king. And Jesus isn't your king. Jesus says, obey me not because you understand or agree out of intellectual assent. Do it because I say so. If you obey, even when it doesn't make sense, or you don't understand, or it makes you really uncomfortable to obey, now you're getting somewhere. Jesus is actually beginning to be your king. It's only then you can stop worrying and start expecting. You can experience the peace of the king. And I pray that you experience peace like that this Christmas. That's what it's all about. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for all the things that were going on hundreds, thousands of years ago together talking about this ruler. We want you to be our ruler, Lord. We celebrate the birth of that ruler here in the next couple weeks. Every Sunday should be like Christmas to us, Heavenly Father. Give us a sense of that in our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts to the threads of the gospel that run throughout your word and throughout our life, Lord. Let us cling to them like a lifeline. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.